We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Washington Wizards. Yet another matchup against the team from the nation's capital, uh, the second in five days. And with the obvious storyline of Kristaps Porzingis uh, returning to Madison Square Garden to play the Knicks, Made a ton of sense to go outside the box with today's preview. I'm sure a lot of you saw the recent article, the Q&A on NBA.com that Kristaps Porzingis gave in which he addressed some of his offseason regimen and trying to get more healthy for the upcoming season. Uh, He answered a lot of questions about Dallas and why it didn't work with Luka Doncic and how happy he is to be in Washington But of course, the part we cared about here in New York and as Knicks fans around the world is the portion that addressed his time in New York and why it didn't work out here and how it ended and what went wrong and some things that could have been done differently. That interview, that Q&A was done with Mark Medina, who is a senior NBA reporter for NBA.com. He covers most of the West Coast teams. He's based out of LA. So it's uh, actually the reason why he interviewed Porzingis was because the Wizards were about to play the Clippers and it just made its way around Nick's Twitter conveniently for him. Well, Mark joined me to discuss his conversation with Chris Stops and specifically some of the things that he said regarding to the Knicks and what it's like being uh, given the tag of injury, um, injury concern and whether he's ever going to be able to shake that stigma. We talked about how things ended in New York and I had to bring it up whether things could happen again and whether a reunion is in the cards for New York um, and Porzingis. It's a good conversation. I think you're going to enjoy the things and the insight that Mark provides. I greatly appreciate him coming on. Here is that conversation with Mark Medina of NBA.com. Enjoy. Joining me now to preview the Knicks game against the Washington Wizards. Since the Knicks 
just played the Wizards on Friday, we figured we'd uh, go a little uh, outside the box with our discussion. And instead of getting somebody that covers the team, uh, we'll get somebody that covered one of their best players the other in a most recent article for NBA.com. Uh, he is uh, someone who covers the NBA at large for NBA.com. And he, again, just had a Q&A with the one and only Kristaps Porzingis. Mr. Mark Medina, welcome to the next Film School podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Excited. I'm excited to have you. And, you know, it's funny. He's two trades removed from being a Knicks, being a Nick. And yet there will always still be a connection with Kristaps Porzingis. Even if he leaves the Wizards to go to another team, he will not be former Wizard. He will not be former Maverick. He will always be former Nick Kristaps Porzingis. First and foremost, it feels Um Loved the Q&A, loved the, the questions that you threw at him. If we can just go back to the beginning of the article, what was the idea going into the, the, the story and what did you want to accomplish with, with this Q&A? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, basically, I wanted to accomplish a mix of catching up with his time in Washington and how that fit is, what the latest is on his health, because his Knicks fans... I often know that's always been a tenuous thing, uh, but as well as also see if uh, we can revisit uh, his time in New York and Dallas and the ups and downs and what went wrong and how he looks back at it. So I think, you know, from uh, an author, I'm very glad that uh, that KP was willing to give his time and candor. Of course, like with any writer, you're always, you always wish there's even more, you know, candor, even more illumination. So while, you know, I think Chris Osporzingis deserves a lot of kudos for, you know, being open and, you know, answering you know, what could have been some tough questions. Obviously, he wanted to keep things respectful. So there were times that he didn't go into too much detail. But as it pertains to the Knicks, I think that he was remarkably candid with uh, a few things. One, that he does miss New York. He misses playing at MSG. And he does have that what if feeling that what if he were healthy, how things would play out. And in his mind, it would be much more successful. But I think uh, he was also candid with taking ownership that while I, I think that he did feel justified of having misgivings with how the organization was run that he also put some blame on himself uh, as far as how he handled those things. Now he didn't go chapter and verse about, Hey, I should have done this better. I should have done that better. But I think when you connect the dots, uh, it, it was very clear that there was some hint of, re uh, of regret that, uh, you know, from his end, he could have been much more communicative and more professional with the front office, but he also made it clear, look, not, no one was perfect on either side. So I think as it pertains to this big picture, there is this ultimate what if of what if he stayed healthy? What if the Knicks, you know, front office wasn't dysfunctional as it was then? And how would it have played out if those two variables weren't such serious issues? I'd be lying if in my <laughs> entire life as a Knicks fan, if I wasn't also asking, what if the Knicks weren't dysfunctional? What if would things be different in, in that sense? Well, I, I think I'm a little much happier with the way things are right now. And I mean, you, you kind of knocked off some answers already to some of my questions, but just to clarify, did this seem like a person? Cause there's, he's got the opt out this, this off season, this seemed like a person that was reflecting now as a 27 year old on some mistakes that happened in the past that he has closure on, or just with somebody that does have impending free agency that misses New York kind of creating an idea that there's no hard feelings wouldn't hate uh, the idea of coming back to the garden one day, not as a visitor. 
Well, look, as you know, you never know in the NBA, things change very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship business. Um, You know, I I think uh, from a literal standpoint, I did ask KP about what's he going to do with the player option. He said that that was uh, too early of of a discussion. You know, even he was mindful at the time, hey, Kyle Kuzma was made a public He's going to opt out of his free uh, his contract so he can be a free agent. Um, but he, you know, really just want to see the, how the season plays out. Obviously, he doesn't have any pressure to make a decision now. Uh, I think, on one hand, uh, as much as the Wizards have been losing, most notably because of uh, Bradley Beal's injuries, he was making it very clear that he feels very comfortable in this environment, primarily because of how he's been used uh, as uh, being able to have the ball in his hands a lot more. Than earlier, both of his time in New York and in Dallas, he is posting career high numbers. So I think from a production role standpoint, he is content with that with Washington. But the reality is this uh, business talks as well as uh, wins and losses. And obviously, the Wizards have been struggling now. Does that mean that he would be open to going back to New York? I think there's a lot of things that would have to come into place for that. But I think if nothing else. I think the context of this conversation was more of looking back, trying to be candid. Um, and also, you know, I think being honest about how he felt, where on one hand, he, he does miss kind of that environment of playing MSG at the time. That's all he knew. And I think it was an eye opener later on in his career that, you know, it's very unique to play for the Knicks and the market that it brings. Um, so I, I wouldn't say from his standpoint, the doors ever shut. Uh, and I think that he also made it clear that. He was given that platform to criticize how things were handled. And I think that he he wanted to keep it open-ended for a reason and vague and respectful. Uh, I think, if nothing else, at least to show that he's, you know, um, I think <clears throat> taking the higher platform of not trashing an organization. So whether that greases the wheels for a reunion down the line, you never rule that out in today's NBA. But I think that the main driving force was that was just career reflection and and trying to take ownership as well as uh, be very clear that, you know, this wasn't taken out of turn. There was a reason why he felt the way he felt during his time of the ups and downs in New York. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me, aside from obviously the the Knicks headline of, of, you know, him redressing what had happened back then. was the the notable maturity that I sensed from his answers. And, you know, I just, I remember when I was 22 and then when I was 27 and the different person that I was and, you know, how much growing up can be done during that time. And obviously I didn't have billion dollar organizations on a public scale trading me, you know, in the middle of that um, as, as a result. Uh, look, aside from the... Like the Knicks have no cap space reason. Um, and <laughs> right. also from the sense of you mentioned how he's being used and he addresses the differences between not even just the Knicks, but specifically like Dallas and how he's being used in Washington. And I wonder like with the Knicks and, and fit, like I'm sure they would figure it out if they were to make a commitment. Like I would imagine a Julius Randle is no longer here in this sense because usage is a thing. Um, but I, I was always I was curious throughout the the reading your Q and A. Um, you know, would, would this would the would the basketball fit even make sense? Especially when you bring up what what happened in Dallas and how what she seemingly didn't enjoy that. Um, is that like the bigger takeaway you had as far as Dallas is concerned when 
he was discussing Luca. Like he mentioned, like it, it just wasn't a good fit, but he doesn't sound like he has hard feelings with what happened there. Yeah, I think the complicated thing with New York and Dallas is the injuries obviously put a wrench in everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the old adage that the best ability is availability. And, you know, KP will be the first to admit it. He, he didn't hold up that end of the bargain. Now, with injuries to some element, there's, you know, some uncontrollable aspects with that. But I, what I found interesting about his time with Dallas is that. When I talked with him last year when he was with the Dallas Mavericks and there was hope that he was turning a corner with a health standpoint and that he would be utilized a lot more to his comfort level under Jason Kidd than it was with Rick Carlisle, he was saying that he and Luka Doncic had the uh, potential to be one of the best duos in the league. And fast forward a year later, and he's saying, looking back, I think long term, it wasn't going to be a fit. Now, similar to the Knicks, I tried pressing, hey, why don't you think it was going to be a fit and he wanted to keep it respectful and he didn't go into detail but i think if you connect the dots with this q and a i then followed up later on hey well you know clippers coach ty Lu, the clippers are playing the wizards at the time when i conducted the interview he observed from afar that hey you seem a lot more comfortable because you have the ball in your hands like what does that do for your game and he started going very in deep about how he feels that once he has the ball in his hands a lot of things happens where a he can be a scoring threat he can be a facilitator that can really ensure the ball movement. So I think the two elements are tied together that Luka Doncic, he has the ball in his hands a lot. And there has been this push pull that the Mavericks have been even experiencing since KP's departure in lieu of Jalen Brunson going to the Knicks. And even when Jalen Brunson was with the Mavs of how much, where do we draw the line in the sand of relying on Luka's brilliance because he's going to win his ball games. There's not a lot of options versus the long-term picture of, hey, we got to elevate some sort of supporting cast around him so we're not wearing Luca out, even at a young 20-year-old uh, or, you know, in his young 20s. And so I think with that, there is certainly an understanding that Luca is justified in having the ball in his hands a lot. But the reality is, you know, uh, for Lu- for KP to be at his best, that just isn't a, a long-term solution. I think that there could have been a happy medium uh, and I think that that was what the Mavericks had hoped for. But the reality is the injuries ultimately derailed that as well as some of his inconsistency of how he would adjust his role as either a primary facilitator, a primary pick and pop player, as opposed to post player in an ideal circumstance. He wants to be able to blend all those things together, not just be boxed into one skill set. Yeah, I think you find this a lot. I'm sure you've you've heard this across your time covering the NBA and obviously in the past covering the Warriors, just how much ball movement can lead to nobody getting bored on offense and everybody getting to touch the ball. Um, We've had some debates amongst our Knicks circle about the Knicks offense and how little ball movement there can be, how much ISO there can be. And even if it may succeed toward a positive offensive rating or net rating in general, you also may have some guys that aren't being utilized as best as they could because they're not in rhythm. It's like you get your five shots a game. They have to be perfect. And, you know, to a larger extent with KP, he might just need the ball more to be utilized a little better. 
For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100, or visit weissandrosenblum.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212 212- 366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think he, I mean, anybody would be frustrated with injuries, but because of like his scouting report at the combine and, you know, obviously being with his size, like the stigma of like, we'll be, we'll have injury issues in the future. Do you think he's frustrated by like, he's always going to have to deal with the fact that the injury concern is going to be like a stigma on him and a reputation that he's going to have to overcome? I don't necessarily think he's frustrated with any stigma. I think, uh, you know, throughout this entire interview, but particularly with the health questions, like there wasn't any hint of defensiveness or, oh, why are you going down this rabbit, Mm -hmm. you know, down this uh, rabbit hole of getting into the injury history? I mean, he was more than willing to entertain those questions, but no doubt 
he's been very frustrated with just the injuries themselves and how that's kept him unavailable. It certainly had created those what ifs of how things could have played out in New York and Dallas. Um, and there's a lot of things that he's done to try to address those things. Um, you know, th- this past summer, he he lost seven pounds as the, uh, the the reason was he he just wanted to put less pressure on his joints. He's doing a lot of different lunges and squatting, making sure that uh, you know just his kinetic chain—that's a medical term that trainers use as far as like your body composition—that there's more balance. Um, there's a lot more collaboration with the Wizards medical staff of you know being proactive with injuries. Uh, but you know I know Wes Unsfeld Jr mentioned that there's been a healthy balance of him playing through bumps and bruises, but also him buying into the staff of being very proactive and being cautious. Um, But with that, you know, during all these challenges, he made it a point to really tap into different like mindfulness exercises uh, to make sure that he was taking care of his mental health, because that was a huge challenge that he went through while dealing with the physical toll of injuries. And so that's one thing that I wouldn't say it's a silver lining. Like uh, ideally, he would have been healthy his entire career, but because of these bad set of circumstances, these last few off seasons, and particular this past off season, he really tapped into the mindfulness exercises, uh, whether it's meditation and yoga. So he's in this positive frame of mind. And then the other thing is when he was going through these long term absences, it really made him reflect, like. Who does he? What does he identify himself as a person like? Mm. What's he all about? And so, while he still feels like he has a lot of basketball left, this really triggered the importance for him to feel, you know, that he's valued and has some sort of self worth outside of basketball. So, with that, you know, he does a lot of hobbies, uh, you know, mixed martial arts training. He said that it didn't have anything to do with like basketball regiment. So, I left it out of the Q and A. But I thought it was an interesting tidbit that he's made a point to try to have a good work-life balance so that, heaven forbid, he gets hurt. He doesn't spiral into this deep depression uh, because he doesn't have basketball. But I think with that, with this interview, reflecting on a lot of challenging parts of his career, he was remarkably candid and friendly and approachable. Um, And while I think that he did hold back on certain things from his time in Dallas and New York, it really came from a wanting to be seen as being respectful from these parties as opposed to being defensive with the line of questioning. That makes me happy that he's figured out a worth life work life balance. You know, um, I, again, admitting that his tenure here was had the highest of highs while some dysfunction was going on. Um, the, the Another takeaway you can easily get from the Q&A was just how much the ACL injury began a domino effect of, uh, of setbacks. You know, he, he's not New York. At least I don't think he's in New York um, because uh, of the injury. At least it was the beginning of steps down that road. And, you know, I was talking to Ava Wallace of the Washington Post last week to preview the Wizards game. And um, it was brought to my attention how much he disliked the time zone he was living in, how how the Mavericks home games were much dif- more difficult to watch uh, for his family back home. Um, and so it just it just it, like you said, it, it sounded like someone who's done a little bit of growing up, done a little bit of self-reflection and is just in a better place than he was uh, a few years ago. Is that fair to a fair assessment overall? 
Yeah, without a doubt. And I think the injuries, like they compounded other, I think, long-term challenges that he admittedly encountered in New York, his dynamic with the front office to this day, he still has a lot of reverence for Phil Jackson because mm. he's the one who drafted him. But obviously there's differing views of how he looks at, you know, ownership and the rest of the front office. Um, and then, you know, back to what we we're saying, what I was talking about, his candor about the long-term fit with Luka Doncic. But I think the reality is when you're not healthy, you don't have a way to kind of sort these things out on the fly. A lot of the solutions uh, to potential long-term problems can be, hey, getting games on the floor and kind of figuring things out and seeing how some trial and error ultimately works out. And, and frankly, because he hadn't been able to stay healthy, he wasn't able to address those things on the court. So I think objectively outside looking in, if he were healthy, some of these things probably would have still persisted. But I think that you could have made the argument that maybe he could have solved one or either of those things, frankly, because he would have had more game reps uh, to solve it. And I think when you're looking at Dallas versus New York, seems more realistic would have been able to solve it in Dallas because of just figuring out that long-term fit with Luca. where with New York, it's more of things off the court with mm -hmm. dealing with the front office dynamics and their direction with the organization, their communication style. But it is that ultimate what if that he'll be the first to admit. He does wonder how it would play it out if he hadn't been hurt in both stints. Was there anything, this would be my, my last question, by the way, is, is there anything that he like refused to answer or something you didn't get to to ask him um, that you wish you would have? I know he kind of dismissed the exit meeting question. At least that's how it came off in the Q&A. Yeah, no, he didn't refuse to answer any questions. Um, but, you know, there were things as shown in the Q&A where he'll say, hey, like, I don't want to get too much into detail here. But again, um, I was allowed to ask whatever I wanted. And, you know, to his defense, he's allowed to answer or not answer anything <laughs> he wanted. But I think that was revealing. And, you know, while the Q&A, it's basically a verbatim transcript, just a little peek behind the curtain. It is edited to the degree of like taking out any long windedness answers or things like that. But I think, you know, when you mentioned the the exit meeting, you know, and, and his uh, words there, I think when you connect the dots about, hey, I was being advised to do certain things this way and that way. I think he was very much given, trying to give the message that this wasn't necessarily his idea of missing the exit meeting. But then mm -hmm. the follow-up question that I had, and the only reason why it was taken out is I wound up using his answers in the lead of the story. I followed up asking, well, how much did that just have to do with just the turbulence going on with the organization? Uh, even if you don't want to like point blame at anyone. He's like, oh yeah, no doubt. And then, then that's when he segued into saying, Hey, like no one was perfect. No one was perfect. That was the lead qu uh, quote that I had in my story. And then he started pivoting in toward his gratitude about Phil Jackson. So clearly, um, you know, uh, he was saying it wasn't perfect on either side. There is a connection to that exit meeting, the reasons behind it, but big picture, he did want to give that message that while, I had my reasons for acting the way I did. I don't want to like further inflame the situation and, and big picture. I want to show that I'm giving respect to the organization and also taking ownership to a degree of some of my own shortcomings at the time. Yeah. I, as someone who remembers that summer extremely well, because it was like one of the first that I'd started doing this type of extensive content um, and covering the team and, 
yeah, the the exit meeting became a story because that season just was very turbulent, uh, turbulent, full turbulence filled uh, with Phil and Mello. And then obviously the exit meeting, it did. I, I got the takeaway that he was saying I got some bad advice. And then it led to like the rest of the story where you referenced, you know, there was there's blame to go around. At the front office, like everybody involved um, could have done things better. And look, I'll be curious to see um, what happens with his impending free agency as well as just like with his career, you know, and and that's not even necessarily Knicks related. I, I think I personally have closure with with the way things went down. And, uh, you know, it's good to hear that it seems like he does as well. Um, Mark, you've been outstanding. You, you, you've been great with your time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I know you, you have multiple things that you cover, uh, both on the West coast, but I guess at the NBA at large, if you'd like to plug anything to our listeners, please do so. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's been a real joy and pleasure. Uh, yeah, you already plugged the uh, Chris House Porzingis Q&A, but you know, why roll with NBA.com? I'm based in LA, so I don't necessarily cover the LA teams, but I go to a lot of Laker Clipper games to write about them as well as write about the teams coming in. And that mm-hmm. gives an avenue to catch up with someone like Chris House Porzingis when the Washington Wizards we're in town. But yeah, uh, as far as plugging the stuff, I'm on NBA.com, do some TV work with NBA TV, a Spectrum Sportsnet based in LA, as well as some radio work with Fox Sports Radio. Uh, and you got the Twitter handle there, Mark G underscore Medina. <laughs> so uh, you can follow my work on all those different channels. Awesome. Thank you, Mark, so much. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, have fun. Uh, it should be a, an interesting next season, as it always is, for better or for worse. It's at least been watchable, which we haven't been able to guarantee in the past. And it's even had enjoyed some winning at the same time. So it should be. Hopefully it stays that way. Uh, thanks again, Mark. Hey, thanks so much. Once again, a huge thank you to Mark for coming on today's show. Uh, please check out his work. He, I appreciate good journalism when I see it, and he does a lot of good journalism, a lot of one-on-one journalism. It's one thing for us to be guessing, for the most part, what's going on behind the scenes. It's another thing to actually talk to somebody who actually is behind the scenes, and I really appreciated Mark uh, giving me the time to, to talk about his conversation with Chris Stops. Uh, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. John will be on after the Knicks game against the Wizards. We will be on playback for the Knicks game against the Wizards. Me, John, Benji, and Jeremy. Uh, we will be live reacting to whatever reception Chris Stops gets at MSG. And uh, hopefully it's it's a W. The Knicks need to get back to their winning ways. They've got a very, very, very tough schedule coming up after these next three games. One could even say it starts after this game with the Hawks and then the Raptors coming up this weekend. But as always, until next time, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.